I'm Steve Dale, and this is Dragonheart. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Dragonheart. I am your host, Bill Long, and joining me today is Mark Griffiths. How are you feeling, Mark? I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm fully aware that, you know, there's there's going to be another 60,000 people now watching this because of the first episode of the second series of Welcome to Wrexham. But the, <laughs> the fear hasn't kicked in yet, so, yeah, I'm ready to rock. <laughs> well, we'll be talking a little bit about that first episode, but first we, we've got a little bit to talk about with Doncaster, uh, and later on we're going to be talking about the fixture at the weekend against Grimsby Town, and the women's game fixture against Swansea City. Uh, this is Dragonheart. I'm Mia Roberts, and this is Dragonheart. So, Doncaster Rovers, Mark. That was uh, a, an exciting end to the game. Uh, how did it seem from the commentary box, your, your opinion for the 90 minutes? Well, I said at the start of the final whistle that chatting to... The, the podcast, not the start of the whistle. I can't talk about it. <laughs> but chatting It'd be an inter- interesting conversation with a whistle, that, wouldn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Sorry. They're very long tone, these, these whistles. They rarely have much nuance to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, chatting to Che afterwards, after the commentary, um, I sort of, we sort of talked about how we were happy with it, and yet we felt like other people didn't seem to be happy. Um, I said at the start of that final was a podcast i think actually the word i'm saying is i think it was very satisfying mm. you know we it was a difficult game there were difficult circumstances we had important players missing and doncaster are better than their league results su- suggest but we still found a way to win it it wasn't pretty but we we ground her out we got the goal when we needed mm. it and these are all good signs i think yeah, definitely, and and look, you know, no one's no one's expecting a a season this year as easy, well, easy as last year, but you take the Yeovil fixture, which was a similar sort of time of the year, uh, very similar sort of conditions, and we 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 only just about scraped the draw in that game, didn't we? There was there was an argument that you know Yeovil had a few chances they could have scored against so the team to, that actually went down at the end of the season as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So. You know, for us to for us to come out the other side of that with with the the three points is the most important thing. And but I I can't I can't ever see how you can be unhappy with a win. Personally, you know, fair enough not being happy. Like I get I get that a poor performance or if you're playing someone a couple of leagues below you in a cup game and and you look shocking. Yeah, fair enough, but. You can't ultimately when you win, and it's the only it's the only objective in football, Mark, isn't it, to win? So yeah. I, I could I could never be unhappy with a with a with three points. No, absolutely, and I, I'm not saying people were unhappy as such, but I think Che just felt throughout the game there was just a, a sense of you know people are sort of not wholly pleased with the way we played, but you can't play mm. devastating football every single match across a whole season. We were, I thought, still a better team, although I grant you Doncaster, you know, had good moments, definitely. I, I thought they looked like a decent side, actually. Um, mm. I mean, let's compare them to Tramier the week before. Goodness me, they were, they were several levels better than Tramier. Well, you, you mentioned it in the final whistle yourself, Mark. You know, you, you, you're not looking at Doncaster and particularly thinking that they're going to be in trouble, whereas Tramier, OK, they've set their manager now, but you... 
it's still going to take a big turnaround for them to not be in a fight at the end of the season, isn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, Doncaster just don't look like a team that's going to have problems. They've had massive injuries at the start of the season, and those players are starting to come back and they're starting to improve. And yeah, I, I think they'll be top third of the table personally. Mm. But uh, yeah, so we had to fight. It was hot. The pitch ran a bit dry. I think sometimes. Um, but we we dug in and we did what we do so often now at home because the players believe they'll get late goals at the race course. They believe mm. the fans will drive them on. The fans believe they don't give up on them. And yeah, lo and behold, self fulfilling prophecy. We get that that late winner. And that I mean, it's it's uh, interesting in a game when a late winner doesn't have the loudest roar of of the day. We'll come on to Mullins. Uh... <laughs> entrance a little bit later but you know like did, did that second goal take a bit of a deflection on the way in yeah yeah i thought so but still you know like it's it's the same as anything you've got you've got to put the ball into those dangerous areas and if it comes off a defender yeah. ultimately it might sound a bit harsh but it's poor defending isn't it your body's in the way of a shot you might be trying to to get in the way on purpose but if you don't clear the ball then it's tough isn't it really I mean, how many shots have we had from around the edge of the area this season that haven't gone in? I mean, it's been something we've been bothered about. Just law of averages. Eventually, one's got to go in, hasn't it? And that was yeah. that was the one. Although, to be fair, it was the second one, wasn't it? Because Luke Young's goal, now that was a hell of a deflection. I mean, the keeper did incredibly yeah. well to try and get back and get a hand onto it and couldn't keep her out. But that was a cruel deflection. And we nearly scored, of course... And um, when it was one all with a deflected shot in the second half too, so we had a bit of luck. But you know, there've been games this season where we've not had much luck in front of goals. So uh, I'm taking that, no problem. And it, it's yeah, me too. And and it, it's a bit of a poor football cliche, but you do make your own luck, don't you? We're putting ourselves in those positions where shots are going towards goal, and play players are there for the rebound, and uh, you know, ultimately it's coming off their players, but. It, in another scenario, it might have been one of our players that, that gets a deflection to to score the goal, or or it doesn't go in. So you've just got to take it and take the chances when they come, haven't you? If you don't, uh, if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win the lottery. Yes, exactly. I mean, quite uh, unlucky. The, the shot which was deflected, which didn't go in, was O'Connor, and he hit it from outside the box. And Lawler, the keeper, was a bit lucky because the deflection took it in the direction he was diving anyway. So mm. it didn't it, it it made it a more difficult save, but it didn't make it it didn't send him the wrong way. A deflection of that size, if it sent him the wrong way, he's got no chance. It's a goal. Yeah. So we yeah. were a little unlucky with that. I must say as well, though, when you look back on it, say Lawler, the Doncaster keeper, my word, he made a lot of good saves, which illustrates how although Doncaster had quite a lot of the ball, we were very good and we should have scored more goals again. But yeah. Uh, Lawler kept the score down with some brilliant stops. I think that's one thing I'm noticing so far this season. Actually, is the the quality in goalkeeping is a step up, isn't it? And those those games where um, I try to think, well, like, uh, the Tramia game's a perfect example. You know, we we won that comfortably, but it would have been four or five if the keeper hadn't had a, a good game. Mm. And I wouldn't say he had an absolutely outstanding game, but. That's just that level of keeper where he could be in a relegation battle is better than a lot of like say let's say the bottom half of the the national league's goalkeepers. I think that's fair to say. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, Lawler made two excellent saves from Palmer's headers, close end. Palmer, very unlucky. I thought not to have at least one goal. And then the rebound from the first one, he then saved from Lee, who did really well to get there and hit it first time with power on target from six yards out. You know, and he still managed to save that. He, he made some really good stops. I, I was very impressed with him. And yeah, when you look back and you see all those, you think, yeah, I, I don't cross the plate well. They had threats. But we were making chances and, you know, we, we deserve to win that game. Even even though it was a little laboured at times, it's all right. We won it and we made chances. And we do, of course, have them um, that extra little something, don't we, coming off the bench, which is quite nice. We do. Have you, uh, Stephen Fletcher. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> well, I was, I was delighted with him as well. Uh, yeah, he looked he looked great when he came on, and and there's there's the seeds there of a great partnership between him and Mullen, isn't there? But uh, we've we've got to, we've got to speak about the King of Mersey side, haven't we? Uh, have you ever heard a returning player from injury ever receive a reception like that? I don't think so. I I, I mean, I've got to say, for me, that the racecourse feels louder than I've ever heard it at the anyway the last sort of few months. Yeah, but goodness me. Uh, yeah, the noise around Mullen when he came on. Wow, it was it was quite something. How must he feel? You know, he knows we love him, and it must be wow, fabulous to be coming on and hearing that. Wow, I mean, he don't think he doesn't need any extra motivation, but <laughs> that sort of would give you extra motivation, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a love affair that we we haven't had with a player since. Hmm. Would this be fair to say Gary Bennett? I know we've had a lot of decent players in in the nineties and the and the late two thousands, yeah. but I think you know, let's say the likes of the the Trinidad lads, they they were really really well liked, but they didn't get that kind of reception, did they? Because I just think strikers just get that more yeah. than any other position. Um, and really, that was Morel's the the only the only striker to have had that sort of impact since. Gary Bennett as well, really. I don't know. I mean, pre pre two thousands, Wrexham isn't exactly my strong point. But... Ugarte. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Yeah, yeah, definitely Ugarte. Yeah, I think he had a really good reception actually when he came back the second time, even yeah. though he didn't. He played like what was it? What half a game or whatever it was yeah. before he got injured again? But he still had a really good reception, didn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's very popular, wasn't he? Very humble sort of guy. Uh, despite the weird thing that an awful lot of Wrexham fans would never have really seen him scoring goals because, what was it, 26 goals in a season and only two at home? Wasn't it something like that? Yeah, yeah, something crazy. I can't remember exactly, but it wasn't many, was it? No, I no. Mean, yeah. I, so I would, when when Ugarte was playing, I was obviously like everybody in Wrexham, I was aware of him, but I wasn't going super regularly then. It was only really after the LTV Vans final. I went to that final and then got hooked after that. But we went to Stockport away um, which was, I think, the first game after we won uh, the, the trophy. And he scored a hat-trick in the first half, like in the first 20 minutes or half an hour, and then he he, he couldn't hit a barn door at home, could he? So it was like... Yeah, yeah he was so yeah. quick, wasn't he? And in away games, on the breakaway, he was just tremendous, just sprinting beyond the last defender, getting onto long balls and finishing them. Um, it was really remarkable. But, you know, whether that was just a flash in the pan, his... His lucky half season, if you will, because I guess yeah. twenty six goals in the season was amazing. Didn't really start starting games till around November, um. So you know, whether it was just a fortune, but like I said, the injuries hit him the moment he left us, 
it's a terrible shame that he didn't get a chance to to see if he was the real deal or a guy who just happened to hit an amazing patch of form just for six months or so. But yeah, I remember that Stockholm game. Well, I think it was a little bit later in the season than that because we had to win all our games, I seem to remember, to stay up. And we had about three games left. And we went there. And like I said, after about 20 minutes, it was 4-0 because Carlos Edwards scored from outside the box as well. And that was, right. that was deeply, it was a deeply gratifying game. But I think we lost the next one and were relegated. So didn't stick. Was it? Yeah, Cal, yeah, Cal, it was definitely Carlos scored the other one because I remember it because it was my first away game. But was it Brentford we lost to in the game after that? I'm sure, sure we played Brentford around that period, which kind of shows the sliding doors of everything that's gone on, isn't it? <laughs> Brentford or Bournemouth. I know we played one of them around that period. Um, you'll know. You've got the spreadsheet, Mark. You'll be able to. You don't have to look it up I've now. But I haven't got it open, though. I'll have a look. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyway, we're, we're digressing there. I think that's that's uh, uh, the, the 2005 season might be for one when we've got a, a bit of a, a break in terms of. Mm. Uh, content uh, that'd be quite nice to go over, especially with the way all all our international players seem to be scooting off. We might we might end up having to postpone fixtures at this rate. Um, one short, aren't we? If you have three players called up, then uh, yeah, yeah, is it only is it only three? I thought well, unless it's changed. I mean, I'll be honest, I've not checked that rule for a long time. I've not had to, <laughs> but it always used to be three. If you had three players called up, then then yeah, you could well, pull the game up. You didn't have to, you know. I mean, if if Parkinson thinks, oh, it's all right, we've got cover, then he doesn't have to. We don't have to apply, yeah. but I suspect he would. Well, M- McLean, uh, Mendy, and maybe soon Mullin for Wales if he uh, if he can recapture <laughs> some form. <laughs> uh, Jordan Davis, I'm, I'm I'm campaigning for Jordan Davis. <laughs> I, anyone in a Wales shirt and a Wrexham shirt at the same time, I, I'd be quite happy with that, as long as they're maybe not wearing them both at the same time, I guess. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, cool, so, uh, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, decent three points, though, mm. and I think it's it's one of those games that you can then sort of put to bed after it's happened. There's no point in dwelling over it too much. Is there? You've you've got the win, shown a bit of character to get that in the last minute, and just just a. Before we move on, like a, a little shout out to Elliot Lee as well. What a talisman he's been for us this season so far. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's terrific, isn't he? He's scoring a hell of a lot of goals. He's not playing up front, and he's really bringing up the numbers. He's well up there in terms of data with that most dribbles completed and most chances created as well. I mean, he is just a super player, isn't he? I mean, and I've said it before, but the way he has converted himself into a box-to-box midfielder from a number 10 is just superb. And, and, and for me, on Saturday, in terms of those wonderful creative moments... He didn't have as as good a game as he often does. Not that I'm knocking him, and he did score the winning goal. But what really struck me was his work rate in that heat, getting back and covering. Because McAlinden was getting up the pitch, and I think Lee recognised he needed to cover him behind him. And McAlinden, of course, really is a wide striker. And so whether Lee also thought, you know, he's a little more vulnerable defensively, but he worked so hard making sure that there were no gaps behind McAlinden to exploit. He's, he's, you know, he deserves a, a proper, you know, doffing of the cap. He did brilliantly. <laughs> he did. Um, what is it? Six and seven now he's scored? Yeah. yeah. Something along those lines, isn't it? Which, that's a striker's strike rate, you know. He, yeah. I, and 
when we signed him last summer, if it had been that he was playing behind the strikers and he was scoring that amount, you think fair enough. But like you say, he's converted to a box box midfielder and he's yeah. still putting the ball in the back of the net, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's he's got the equivalent position of James Jones and Luke Young, who I think he would reasonably categorise, and no insult to them, as players who chip him with, with occasional goals. Yeah, but not mm. regular scorers. But Lee is a regular scorer from that position. But he's, he's such a good player, isn't he? And I'd single out Ryan Barnett as well in that match. I thought Barnett was terrific down the right. I thought the left back, senior. He's a good defender. Um, I thought he did well. Barnett didn't actually really get past him. So in that respect, senior did well. But senior couldn't stop Barnett getting crosses in. So ultimately, Barnett won that battle hands down. He got a lot of good quality stuff into the box, finding Wrexham players in the area. I thought he was, he was absolutely terrific, Barnett, I thought. Mm. Uh, th- yeah, th- I mean he's 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 Mister Consistent Barnett, isn't he? Really, I don't think I don't think he ever has a bad game for us. And even when he's not at his best of games, it 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 sort of stands out more because he's usually so good for us that he looks worse than what he actually actually is. It's a what a what a find. I mean, he he was another one. He was he was a, he was a white striker, wasn't he? That's been. Yeah. I know I know Solly will do play with five at the back sometimes, but. He's been fully converted to a a, a right wing back, mm. but he basically glazes a wide striker, doesn't he? He's usually that far up the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, early on in his time, I used to think, okay, he's a bit vulnerable defensively. Uh, maybe he still is, but the fact is that is you know the defensive sort of arts aren't his strength. But he's so quick that you know, you see people beat him, but he'll come back. He'll still he'll still get mm. back and stop him getting the crossing because his his recovery speed is remarkable. And I've got to say, I don't recall a point this season where people have got past him and he's had to recover. You know, he's 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 you know, there's more to defending than making flashy tackles. He seems to do well positionally and oh yeah yeah helps him massively. Hundred percent. Um, and and what a luxury to have him and Anthony Ford as your backup. You know. Oh yeah. I know, I know. Anthony Ford had, had there was reasons why he was a bit absent last year, but it, it, if it wasn't for those reasons and we'd signed the right back, he'd have thought that's mental. Why, why would you want to replace him? Like he, he's, he's he played that well last season. It's great, but player, now, man. oh, he's fantastic, and now we've got that um, ability to, you know, you're coming across someone. Let's say Gillingham. I know they're not exactly free scoring, but they're top of the league. You come across someone like them, and you want to be a bit more tight at the back. Mm. You can start Anthony Ford and bring Ryan Barnett on when they're a bit more tired, or once you've got a game sealed at one or two nil, you can switch Ryan Barnett out and have Ford, who's that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize him as an ultra defensive player, but he's just that little bit more mm. defensive, and you can sort of bring a bit of balance. It's, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a real privilege to have two good players in every position, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. The strength and depth in our squad's ludicrous, and then just when you think, wow, this is amazing. Parks will go out and buy another good player and put him in the first team. And you think, wow, <laughs> how much quality have we got? <laughs> centre-back now, how many good centre-backs we've got? It's just ludicrous. And I know O'Connor had a rough time first game of the season at the centre-back, but a few people did. Um, and But the fact is that at the end of last season, I was saying, all right, let's stop calling him a stand-in centre-back because this guy clearly is a centre-back. So, I mean, yeah, it's astounding, isn't it, really? But, yeah, I, I really like Ford. Well, but probably oh. like Barnet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. As well, at centre back, you've got O'Connell, Boyle, Tozer, Hayden, 
Paul Tony Cliff. Tony, Tony Cliff. Cleworth. <laughs> Cleworth. Right, and that's your, that's your six specialist yeah. centre backs, and you've got Evans and O'Connor who can both play there. Yeah, and then that's... you've also got Butler who's out on loan but has looked decent for us. Yeah, and I suppose if if and when he does come back from loan, he's, he's he would be eligible for the squad because he's not part of the because he's homegrown. He would fit into the the rules that he could just be added in, couldn't he? Or um, no, how it's does that age. work? That would be the right there. Okay, yeah. And I'm trying to remember his age, but while I sneakily open up a different spreadsheet, I will say that you were right in terms of Brentford's with the next team we played. We had three games left, and the recollection is we really had to win all three to have any chance of staying up. And we battered Stockport over in 20 minutes, like you said. But then we lost at home to Brentford. You're quite right. I say we battered. Yeah, yeah. I got it right. And, and then we lost the last game of the season, one nil at home to Huddersfield. So we won the away that game, and then failed to win either of the subsequent home games, and yeah. we were down sadly. Uh, Scott Butler was born thirtieth of December two thousand and two. So he is twenty one. Twenty. Twenty one. Twenty. Oh, so he's okay then, yeah. So that's the issue, his yeah. age. So yeah, yeah, he's fine. So he could just be used anyway. But but let's be fair, he's not going to get game time with those centre-backs in front of him, is it? So he, being on loan is the, is the correct decision. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fair play to Clue of coming on in those, in those circumstances. You know, Aaron Hayden mm. goes down. He's still a young lad. It's, his, you know, one of his first games in, in the Football League in those conditions. Bit unfortunate for their goal, but pretty decent performance by him, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it is his first game in the football league, isn't it? Um, right, I mean, yeah. See, so he played in he played in the league cup, and he had knew he played this season, yeah, but it was it was yeah. against Wigan, wasn't it? Yeah, he's yeah. I mean, the, the goal's his fault, isn't it? Really, let's be honest. He can't really yeah yeah sort of quote that. Um, but apart from that, he had a good game. He was making these sort of decisive interceptions. He's confident. He's still confident going forwards, which is brilliant because you. You sometimes wonder whether a young player might lose that confidence if someone scores on the break in the space they've created. But he's been given that allowance to do that and he takes advantage of it. So uh, I, I really like Max Cleworth and he did make a mistake. But, you know, you just got to put those behind you. So that's in a way what the mentality of the player who goes on to have a big career. You make a mistake, you dust yourself down and say, right, I can't change that now, but I can carry on at my normal standards rather than dwelling on it. And he seemed to do that pretty well. He recovered well from that mistake, had a good solid game, I thought. Yeah, definitely. And and what, you know, like there's always that debate with younger players. Do you do you loan them out and let them get experience or do you keep them around the first team squad? But the, the peers that he's got to be learning from, you know, those some of those season pros and mm. just just the whole the whole setup at the team, he's gonna get game time. I think it's it's been more than the right decision to keep him round, doesn't it? Letting him learn his, his trade off off uh, those players. I think so, yeah. Um he and Bickerstaff anyway are going to be here till January. That's the end of it. Um mm. there, there were there at least two more EFL group uh, matches to go and then hopefully we'll go through and have more EFL trophy games. Uh there's the FA Cup, the dependence obviously on the draw, although we've seen that Parkinson is totally happy to trust his players, whether they're regulars or not. So they should get some pitch time. Um, but uh, and with seven subs, you could maybe sometimes tactically include one of them 
purely to give them some time if you want to, just to build up that experience. But yeah, yeah, uh, uh, they're both both he and Bickerstaff are proper prospects, and it'd be great, you know, to see them flourish further. And they've got, like you say, such experience around them. Goodness me, they're they're laughing. I mean, the the eligibility rules confuse me a little bit, Mark. But am I right in thinking that we have to have someone under twenty one on the bench to be allowed seven? We <laughs> that's true. Hang on, it's homegrown, isn't it? Homegrown. As in, yeah, not British, but actual club developed. But then you got Clueth, you got Bickerstaff. So immediately, I see what and, you're doing with this. And Dave, it makes sense. And Davis would, would be, yeah, exactly, yeah. And Davis, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think Davis would be included in that. But That's you right. know, yeah, it it. You have to have been uh, I'm just... three years before they're twenty-one, and Davis was with us for three years before he went to Brighton. So you're dead right. Brilliant. Yeah. So that there we go. It's an exciting time, Mark, isn't it? It's nice to be having these discussions. It's not like yeah. even like two years ago when we when we came second, there was a lot of discussion about who who can play in what position, and and we're struggling here and there. But we haven't got that problem anymore, have we? Well, the season that Brian Flynn went, and to be fair, I think the situation was manufactured because they wanted to get rid of him by him resigning rather than paying him off, which doesn't reflect well. But that's a different story. We we genuinely had no right-back who had played any professional football at right-back, and two goalkeepers who were around 20. And that was it. Because we well, we had Mike Stoll, who's a very experienced goalkeeper, in training with us. And it was it was made public that he's playing going to sign for us. And then suddenly Flynn was said, there's no money. You can't sign him. And we had Jim Whitley in, and he was also you know virtually announced. And then he was told there was no money. And so we ended up with uh, Warren, a young Dave Warren, who's a young Irish lad who's about 19, who's a very attacking midfielder playing at right back. And I, I, I mean, it may well have ruined him because he was stuck into senior football when he probably wasn't quite ready. He was a good player, but he was not a right back and he didn't last long. And he ended up leaving us. And, you know, maybe if we'd been able to nurture him properly, we'd have been laughing. And then likewise, the two keepers were both promising, Walsh and Rogers, and neither really fulfilled their potential. And again, you wonder if they were exposed a bit too soon. The moment Flynn went, of course, suddenly Jim Whitley signed for us because there was money. They just didn't want to give it to Flynn. So, you know, I mean, remember that and you think of now. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I believe it's what you youngsters call different gravy. <laughs> it is. Football's an absolutely ruthless game, Mark, isn't it? It's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's... I mean, the, some of the things that happen to young players is, re, you know, as professionals that work with young people, granted a lot of these players are going to be over 18, but still, if we were treating our pupils like that, we'd be close to getting the sack, wouldn't we? You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's borderline negligence stuff like that, isn't it? Not, not, oh, that, yeah. not, not pointing fingers at anyone, any individuals who were involved with those decisions, because that's just life, isn't it? But the way young players are, are sort of, thrown to the curb in football is absolutely ruthless. Those three lads were pawns in a game there. You know, to be yeah, frank, I think exactly. Really, yeah. In context, but oh, I don't know. Using the word ruthless, by the way, interestingly, ruthless, one of the few words in the English language which has no opposite. Because you can be ruthless, but you can't be Ruth unless your name's Ruth. And the reason, of course, <laughs> is that oh. words die. 
So Ruth used to be a word which meant kind. And you could say, oh, she's so Ruth. And that's why it's a name because of things like, you know, joy. You want your child to be joyful, kind. You call the child Ruth. But then the word Ruth has died out, but the opposite has remained. So we can be ruthless, but we can't be Ruth. There you are. Trying to make a segue out of that. Every every single podcast, I learned something new. Thank you. Speaking of new things, there we go. I think we, I think I've segued. After this, we will be talking about the new season of Welcome to Wrexham. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. So the the first episode of Welcome to Wrexham season two has aired. Uh, I'm hoping I can avoid spoilers for the end of the season. Oh, God, I, I had to say that joke. It's the worst joke that's been flying around. But, uh, yeah, well, yeah, with that uh, backdrop, Bill, you know, for those yeah, of you yeah. who the oh, ball, no, no. <laughs> there's a backdop of some Wrexham players celebrating with a big cup. They can't quite, it says Arma Nashig. <laughs> I don't know what else, I can't read the Maybe it's something else, I don't know, I don't know. I, I've got a feeling that they got 10% off on a Groupon in uh, the Grosvenor in Pulford. So they're just celebrating yeah. having having the prices been brought down to a normal amount with a big silver cup. Uh, right. full, full of clotted <laughs> cream, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, th- this this TV show is a behemoth, isn't it? It's, it's propel, help propellers to... The scenes that you can see behind me—it's vitally, vitally important to to the club's future and the club's present. But what did you make of the first episode, Mark? I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, you know, got some good footy in for a start. That easy match <laughs> yeah. and the, the Chesterfield match, and something I said throughout the first series, and I may seem a bit naive, but the stuff that was going on genuinely was how I recollected it on and off the pitch. You know. The, there's nothing particularly staged about it. I don't think it's it's a genuine reflection. And then seeing Paul Lainton suffering, yeah. he was knowing that he'd go through it all again. Oh wow! I mean, that was very powerful. I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I've done a bit of of uh, mixed martial arts and stuff. Chase done a lot more than me, but you know, I I've had very minor injuries and you, you you sort of understand you know being in a gym you see all the people who get all these different sporting injuries but to see to see the sheer pain he was in just shows how how much of a, a, a you know an issue the the injury was and oh it was like you said, it was, sorry that the, even the dog was upset with uh, um, the rob <laughs> no um, yeah just seeing like that that, that pain that rob layton was in you know that's Footballers are, uh they might have a reputation for being divers and stuff, but I think any professional athlete that is putting their body through it day in, day out in training and even more so on a weekend, that they're, they're tough people and, and and for him to be in that level of pain, it must be it must have been bloody difficult to go through that physiotherapy, mustn't it? And as well, it just reminds you as well, I mean these are this is their livelihood playing football. You know, to us, we get upset when a player gets injured. You know, people like people of reputations are getting injured, like Darren Anderton back in the 90s or uh, Gareth Bale. 
you know, you see people getting angry at them as if they want to be injured when it's the last thing <laughs> that they want, but, you know, blaming them because they're injury prone. But then, And even, even on the flip side to that, sorry to cut you through, Mark, but some people... Whilst I'm not saying they they wish injuries on players, but mm-hmm. oh, let's let's take him out of the game. Uh, and you know the the flip side to that is if they're out for six months because one of our players or one of their players has gone in too hard, that's pretty bad. And then even worse than that is you occasionally people will celebrate a player getting injured because it means they're not going to be in the starting eleven and they don't like him for whatever reason. It yeah, it kind, it kind kind of highlights how inhumane that is. Yeah. But yeah, go on, sorry, Mark. Yeah, absolutely, but, but you know when you see Lainton there getting treatment. I mean, firstly, you see what players go through in order to be able to put food on the table. And he does talk in it, doesn't he, about having a, his contract expiring at the end of the season, you know. And this is not just fun playing footy, that this is his livelihood. Is that when he saw his face when he was going to have that weird-looking protractor-shaped thing scraped on his wrist. Remember that, Bear? He yeah, just... yeah. You just felt like he was thinking, is this real? Does this actually help me? Scraping me like that? And he just think it's not just as a livelihood. They're putting their livelihood in the hands of physios and hoping that they know what they're doing. I know, don't get me wrong. We've we've assembled a wonderful physio team. There is no reason to think they don't know what they're doing at all. He's got he's gonna get much better care than any other players at our level would get. But you know what I mean? It was just that thought of does that is that a thing you do to somebody with a broken wrist? Will this help? Just this is my living. Not not you, Mark. Yeah, that that um the when he was doing when he was doing that with his wrists, like yeah. and, and he went just two more, and you could see him go, oh, as if he thought he only had like one left or there was none left, and it was just like, how much pain is he in for each individual one that doing it twice more would be like, oh. No, no, that was yeah, that was. Yeah, I had to really feel for him, didn't you? After that, and oh, yeah. And then, of course, yeah. I think Joseph's got on at the start, but yes, ex <laughs> school. Oh, yeah, Josh Williams from my year eleven class last year. Fantastic, throwing in a beautiful one-liner about explaining to people that Wales isn't an animal. <laughs> yeah, that was great, wasn't it? And, I, I enjoy these specs as well, like the like the sort of hexagonal shape. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him wear them in school. So maybe he brought them out the the nice glasses out just for that uh, uh that filming. Good for him. <laughs> no, good lad, Josh. And yeah. go go and find uh the episode from last season where we did interview Josh. Uh, it's definitely worth a listen to get a bit more of an insight into how uh the the average sort of Wrexham teenager thinks about uh the club and everything that's going on. Yeah, uh, Josh and Joe yeah. weren't they? They were, they were great. Um, yeah, they I've got were. to say though, um, I I did get in school some excited comments from Year Sevens who only just met me, the poor devils, and <laughs> hadn't yet worked out, hadn't yet realised that they needed to despise me, and um, they were very excited because I was in the background of that shot with Josh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like saying something. No, it's exciting because Josh was on. He's in that St. Joey. Yeah, it's cool. That is. No, I saw you. Blurry in the background, looking like a, <laughs> lurking like a camp Darth Maul. You know, it's just like, don't get so excited about that, guys. A camp Darth Maul. 
Oh. <laughs> Darth Maul himself was quite camp, wasn't he? That face makeup was a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to, to be a camp version of him, then <laughs> yeah, you, you must really be up there. <laughs> he was like one step away from the guy in Phoenix Knight who had a cat painted on his face <laughs> with a spray can and it Ken, wouldn't come off the rest of the Ken, Kenny Jr. That's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that was quite weird. But when it when they when they start getting the actual, you know, full face on the show, I, I'm sure they'll soon think, yeah, it was better when he was blurry. <laughs> <laughs> What's how, like, seeing as you are going to be a star, you've been on the trailer, Mark. Your voice, oh, yeah. your voice has been included <laughs> uh, numerous times in the first season, and and obviously it seems like it's going to be in the second season. How does it? How do you feel, sort of, coming up to uh, an episode? Is there any sort of tension wondering if you're gonna feature or are you not too bothered? It's weird. I'm not I'm not too bothered about the featuring or not. Um, because I'm fully aware that a show like that, they're gonna film so many hundreds of hours of footage and then condense it down to whatever it'll be, you know, 16 hours or something, or even less. So I'm I'm totally aware of that and I have no problem with it. I mean, the the truth of the matter is. I'm not really interested in from an egotistical point of view. It it is good for our club, and they've made a good job of the first series and a well, good you, job of the first you... episodes of the second one. And I want them to, as long as they keep doing that, I don't care if I'm in it or not. If I'm perfectly well, honest, just the timing of you said it's good for the club was as if you were saying like it's good for the club that you're featuring. <laughs> like, like... <laughs> that, that, that goes without saying. That goes without saying. I, mean, uh, I am, you know, a remarkable ambassador. Yeah, well. <laughs> You know, if they they they, they, the world. <laughs> they saw the reception for last year and thought the only thing this series is missing yeah. is a camp Darth, Darth Maul. <laughs> so uh, we're just we're gonna add that into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly the thought. But that is complete, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if only the cameras were there the time I got wedged into a de- underneath a desk at Geisley, that would have been something well worth filming. Well, what, what happened there, Gon? Because I have no well, story. It was as as Geisley had quite, you know, I mean, a very friendly club, but very basic stadium. And their press box was, was quite peculiar. It had sort of the desks on a bit of a slant for some reason. Um, and then there wasn't that, the, the, the row was very long. And unlike at the race course, where it is awkward that it's so long, but you, you can jump over the seats, there was no scope to do that. So once you were in your seat, you were in your seat. You weren't going to be able to get out either side, um, which is unfortunate when you want to go to the toilet at half time or things like that. But anyway, I got in, I set the equipment up, I wanted to go to the toilet before the match. So the only option really was to crawl under the gap below the desk and then go feet first over the empty seat in front to get into the row in front of you. And I managed to execute that fairly elegantly in the before the match when I was leaving. Uh, of course. You know, I'm known as the Romanian butterfly after that hey. gymnastics. Um, but coming back up was a bit more tricky, and I ended up getting wedged under the desk. <laughs> so I was like, how am I going to get out? So my head is like poking over the, the back of the desk. <laughs> and the rest of me stuck there. Uh, I did manage to extricate myself in the end, but it was a, it was a hairy experience. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh I don't know what to add after that. <laughs> Go back to the back to the show, should we? Um, yeah, why not? There was the a, king, there's a, the king was on it. The king, the king was, was the king was on it. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed he, he their shtick with the etiquette lessons. I thought that was really yes. Funny. Yeah, that was a good way to handle it. And yeah. the, the King of England, as, as Ryan referred to him as, uh, an in, an interesting turn there. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's. Do, do you know what? I'm kind of glad that they haven't shied away from the fact that mentioning that the 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 pol- political side of it, not from you know not not that we need to talk politics here, but even just mentioning that they they thought that Conservatives weren't going to win in the next election, and that's why we hadn't won the levelling up bid. Re- really does highlight what the UK is like in terms of how yeah. politically. Um, I, I've got to be careful how I say this, but politically. It's it's governed a lot by how publicity is going to help the politicians rather than considering what is the good for the people. Yeah. And that goes across all the political parties. That's not, you know, that's not just a conservative government. It, it's it's you know, every government has an element of that. And and yeah, it, it's it's a it's a, a crying shame that that something like that is blocked, gonna be such a huge um benefit for not just for for us in Wrexham but for the whole of North Wales the more Welsh international games that take place here the better and, and you know if you're someone from Hollyhead and you want to watch um Wales play on a Tuesday night you've got to get a hotel because you can't get to Cardiff and back unless you drive and then you're getting home at two or three o'clock in the morning so you know having that stadium there would would be a huge benefit for the entire region rather than just just the city wouldn't it Oh, 100%. And I mean, let, let's be honest, it's not just in Britain, is it? I mean, politics around the world tends to be you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Uh, that's why lobbyists exist. But yeah, I mean, I was really glad they spoke about that in such plain terms. Um, this is a project, the Gateway Project, which the COP was part of, would have brought an awful lot of good to the city of Wrexham. It really would have um, spruced up that part of town. It would have created employment. It would have been a big step forwards for the city. Um, And we clearly merited it, but we don't get it because there's no votes in it. So they're not deciding, like you said, on the good it will do. And like like you said, all parties do that. I know, and it happens in every country, sometimes more openly than others. But I was glad they were open yeah. and said that. Um, I really, really respected that. That was good. Don't just you know hide away from what happened. Just say it as it is. Um, but the tragic thing is, uh, you know, we'll find a way to do our bit of it. But the rest of that regeneration of the area won't happen, I assume. And that's a crying shame, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, so for those who aren't aware, the Gateway Project was, uh, uh, I don't know the exact specifics, but that road and the train station... It's not too far away from the ground. It was all, all of that was going to be completely regenerated, wasn't it? And that yeah. part of our funding that we've applied for uh, comes into was co- going to come into helping that project. It's maybe not something that needs desperately doing, but like you say, it would have been created employment. It would have created um, work for people, you know, companies that were already got jobs, but it's extra money, isn't it? That could mean more people are hired and. Mm all that sort of stuff. And yeah, we're going to get our stand. It's, even if we have to go private to to get the funding, that stand's going to happen. But the, it's the community that suffers, not not the club, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, the regeneration of that area was the, was the priority. Yes, we were a very, very big part of that. But then, you know, Wrexham Council, with our blessing, because the club wanted this to happen, 
um, were able to use our raised profile as a sort of, you know, the, the forefront of the campaign. You know, so that, that, you know, we, we were no longer a club that people just brush into the carpet, that even Wales, you know, when funding goes around, Wales often brush into the carpet. Instead, mm. we were being a, a major sort of force dragging that whole thing along with it. And yet didn't work because there's no votes in it, which is deeply, deeply disappointing and, and frustrating. I must say as well that the first time we were rejected, um, we were rejected by the Welsh Assembly or the Welsh Government. Um, but it seemed, as I understand it, pretty much certain that the Welsh Government would have approved it on this second uh, application. But then it was taken away from regional governments and given to central governments. Let's be honest because then they could direct it towards marginal seats that they might win. Um, so again, it, it all stinks, but then so much of politics does. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make an issue out of that one thing, because there's lots of stuff that's unjust in politics, sadly. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, but a, a good episode. It, it tees mm. it up for the rest of the season. Uh, I know the next episode, you know, some of you might be listening to this uh, just before that, that episode comes out. It's going to feature uh, an ex pupil of mine, Millie Tipping, who is a bit of a Wrexham super fan. Um, it'd be interesting. Maybe we'll, we'll I'll have to try and dig through my contacts and see if we could get her on the show after the after you know the the season's over because might be interesting to interview her from her point of view. Uh, and it's going to you know there's going to be that focus on the the community work that we do do in in terms of what Kerry Evans does with the dis- disabled section and all the autism awareness and everything around. Uh, Paul Mullins' son, who's autistic. That second episode is going to be when the when the series really starts for me, when we're going to actually start seeing some proper positive stuff. And obviously, our 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 good run in the league will start to kick on then as well, won't it? I'm Gareth Owen, and this is Dragonheart. Okay, and after this, we will be hearing from Mike the Ref, who's given us a bit of a talk about how referees uh, direct their assistance, along with his two lovely assistants that he's brought along as well. Hello and welcome to a Dragon Heart podcast. I'm Mike the Ref. Uh, Mike the Ref 1974 on Twitter. Uh, usual hashtag Ask Rector. We'll look at today, refereeing matters, is what uh, instructions do referees give to assistants and what's the teamwork like? So here with Laurel and Hardy, these can be my two assistants. Arthur's at the back there, you can see him later if need be. He can be our fourth official. So, got Laurel and Hardy here. So, as a referee, stop them making a pig's ear of decisions, what do we say? So as a referee, firstly, you normally choose your diagonal in the EFL, referees will always run on the right wing or outside right. So normally the referee should have done a little bit of research or a little bit of uh, looking about the patterns of play, the players to watch and, and what went on in the last couple of games. I know I certainly do when I refereed at um, Cumbria Premier level. So what happens is, Referees will say start with offside, they normally cover the offside. That's the main job of the assistant referee. They've got communications and buzzer flags. So if the referee 
Uh, if the assistant makes a decision, he'll normally buzz and let the referee know that he's made the decision. But the referee will cover with offside. He'll say all the offsides will be yours. Uh, flag for one interfering with play. They'll ask them to delay the flag uh, to ensure the decision is correct. Um, unless there's going to be an incident where players, for example, are going to go down on the goalkeeper, it's a one-on-one, so an urgent flag will be made. But I think he wants my attention. Uh, the decision needs to be made quickly. Um, so they'll basically cover the basics on offside. The next thing they will cover is when to come in for free kicks. Normally, a referee, I used to say, come in when it's close to you or your area of control, which is normally use the guide of the 18-yard line, um, that area up to the halfway line. That is where you normally expect an assistant referee to come in a flag for an obvious free kick. But I'd also say to the assistants, look how I'm refereeing the game, look what's going on, look what I'm giving, because sometimes if I'm giving lots of little free kicks to slow the game down, I'd expect the assistant to come in and support that, or alternatively, um, you don't really want assistants flagging for free kicks unless it's quite obvious or it's something you've not seen. The flag has got to be credible uh, and right. So no one to cover that with assistants. So we've just got these two. We'll have another look. Oh, so the same for a penalty. You've got to be 100% sure. Flag, since the penalty is flagged, move down to the uh, corner flag. Again, you'll discuss corners and tactics in the game and goal kicks. You'll ask them to tell the assistants where they need to stand for goal kicks. Sometimes if, uh, well, if it's a short one, they'll say just stay with the, the second last defender. Or if it's going to be kicked long, it's maybe just um, get up in a, a position where you can get around, Laurel and Hardy are obviously now paying attention, a bit more than half they did the other week. Uh, writing, normally for officials, the EFL will do all the writing. Um, the, the referee will normally through comms, tell them how much injury time to play, control the, the dugouts or the benches, technical areas, um, and the, in the EFL, the assistants, four officials will also monitor, try and add it on and communicate that through the communication systems to the, to the referee. Um, also, they'll also cover things like mass confrontation, where to stand, um, if normally the players are getting that game on Wednesday night against Pala, the footage has been a brawl, four red cards, but the assistant referee on the far side, actually, that came onto the pitch just to support the referee. So they'll, they'll cover that. So essentially, the referee will have a game plan, will brief the assistant on his game plan or her game plan. Uh, sure there's teamwork the decisions look right ultimately between them all they get the right decision as you go down the levels the instructions become a little bit more fine-grained a bit more uh, detailed just to assist things have moved I've when I was assistant referee online one game I've had referees who've said to me before you make any decision look at me uh, ultimately the decision will lie referee, so if the assistant referee gets some abuse from the player and he thinks that the assistant thinks it's a little bit naughty that I wonder lad sent off and the referee goes, I'm not, I'm not sending him off, um, he's got a problem, but it can be worked through. So as an assistant referee, you need to be aware of your duties, what the referee's instructions are, look at the game and listen to the referee. It helps in the FL with communications and uh, a buzzer attached to them. So, 
if when the referee assistant flag or buzz and the referee will get a buzz if he doesn't hear the communication. So that's a quick stop on how referees and assistant referees work and how a referee would brief a team. Laurel and Hardy are ready to go, flags are ready, buzzers are on, communications are set. So follow the hack horse entry. Uh, this is where I am. I'm at the ref 74 and also hashtag I'm at the ref, and this is Dragonheart. This weekend we are facing Grimsby, and the the fixture takes on a bit of extra significance this year, as we will it will be the fixture that is assigned as the Gresford Colliery Disaster uh, Remembrance Game. Mark, um, a very very sad tragedy. Could you? You know, you've got a bit more knowledge about it than me. Could you sort of make a bit of an explanation for those fans who may have not heard of this disaster? Yeah. Um, the Grassford Colliery disaster was, was one of the worst disasters in British history uh, in terms of industry. It happened uh, in September 1934. And there were, well, 266 people were killed. It was horrific and it was a scandal. And before I talk about it anymore, I, I will say something the club should genuinely be proud of is that the club has always sought to commemorate the disaster when other people who could have been commemorating it failed to do so. So basically, um, the Grassford Mine is, is just on the edge of town, really. I mean, where I live, I live on the edge of town and it's about two, three minutes away from my house by car. Uh, Grass was a lovely little village, but on the edge of it was a, a big coal mine. And for a long time before the disaster, miners were complaining that the conditions were unsafe. The, there, was, there were pockets of gas developing underground, which weren't dispersing. Obviously, gas underground is incredibly dangerous. Um, but they raised this for a while, and nothing was done by the owners of the mine. And then on that night in September, uh, there must have been a spark when we were done. We don't know. Something happened and there was a huge fire and ex explosion and fire underground. As I understand it, I think I'm right in saying, I, I, I hope this one was right. I think only four people who were underground at the time actually got out simply wow. because they were fortunate enough to be near air vents and were able to crawl out up through the air vents and out onto the surface. Uh, so horrific disaster none of the bodies were recovered um and in the end it was decided after a, a huge attempt at a rescue and four rescue workers were killed when there was a subsequent explosion the next day underneath the capped mines and they were killed on the surface uh so they had to cap the mines completely and all the bodies are still down there for those of you who know Wrexham that that mine runs basically under the fields where Panther Ocken is. Um, so those bodies are all still down there. An awful lot of those people down there were Wrexham fans because Wrexham were playing Tranmere the next day. And so they swapped their shifts to work through the night so they could come out and go to the game. So the football club had an extra link, apart from the fact it's a local issue, we had this extra link that an awful lot of Wrexham fans were killed because they wanted to go and watch the game the next day um the, the the nice part of the reaction 
is that football pulled together. Uh, Tramway had a collection for the families. Chester, because we played Chester away the next Saturday, and Chester's directors, and I remember this is the mid-30s, so cars were uh, not not common. Chester's directors all drove their cars to Wrexham to pick up family members of the miners who'd been killed to take them to the Chester-Wrexham game. And Chester had a collection as well. Um, so football pulled together. However, unfortunately, uh, the higher up, shall we say, echelons of society didn't. Uh, they failed the miners. So you had a situation where there was a massive, massive nationwide collection and a sizable amount of money was raised purely to give to the families of the, the, the people who were killed. But, and I know this partly because I've spoken to the one remaining child of a miner, there's only one still alive, um, apparently they used to have to humiliate themselves in order to get any money. So it wasn't as simple as there's a big fund now, this will help to you to compensate any of the tiniest things there to grow, go and grovel for to a, a charity co a committee who would decide if you're worthy or not. Um, so that's horrific. Secondly, the owners were a well-to-do family in Wrexham, and so they denied all responsibility, although plainly, from what I told you, it was their fault. There was an inquiry, an inquiry which actually led to Stafford Cripps becoming one of the major political figures in the middle of the century. Stafford Cripps was at that time a QC and he represented the miners. But despite the fact that he did a terrific job putting across all the, the cruelties and the dangerous practices that they encountered, it was such a complex inquiry that you know, the defence were able to fudge it and no blame was apportioned at all. And astonishingly, Wrexham Council did not put up a memorial to the to the miners until 1982, so nearly 50 years later. Put that into context, I know this because my wife did an MA on it. Um, generally, when there's some sort of mining disaster or something similar around the world, there'll be a memorial up within six months. That's the norm but we took yeah. 48 years. So there's a lot of horrible scandal, but the club has been the one consistent thing keeping that memory alive. There's so many more things I could tell you, like the memorials actually where the winding gear were, where the mines were capped, which nobody in Wrexham knows about at all. My wife only found out through her research and they're just hidden in a car park on an industrial estate covered in moss. Um, there's all sorts. Uh, but the fact is that it is a scandal, but the club kept going. When we built a training ground on waste grounds where the mine had been, we called it Collier's Park. Um, Collier's Park always has a miner's lamp in it to remind us of what happened. There's a memorial in there. Uh, you know, the, the, where where the county where the county council failed, the football club actually delivers. So it's it's something which is deeply rooted in Wrexham's DNA you know, we stood up for the miners when they needed us. Yeah, it's that's fantastic. And and I, and I think that's like kind of synonymous with a lot of a lot of uh things with our town and our attitudes as a place, you know, 
that have been other mining disasters and other and other just just natural disasters in general in the UK. And I, I'm not going to do any what aboutery because any any um loss of life is is absolutely awful. But there are disasters that get more coverage than the Gretford disaster does nationally, even to this day, that have significantly lower death tolls. And I don't think I've ever once heard about the Gresford disaster talked in national media, including including Welsh, just purely Welsh media, you know. But the UK media, it's, there's there's almost a complete silence on it, and it that kind of the um the uh the influence that the owners had has had that lasting effect mm. in the sense that it's still kind of a forgotten disaster within the UK as a as a whole, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's true. I thought the other, but then again, that sort of apathy from, uh, you know, sort of people in Wrexham. I don't mean the people of Wrexham, but people representing Wrexham perpetuated that. I mean, when they opened the memorial, Charles, the current king, and his then wife Diana opened it. I'm not criticizing those two over this, but when they came to open it, there was a marquee and a big official reception, and none of the families were invited. It was only the council, the great and the good. You know, um, when Wrexham Cemetery had European funding a couple of years ago to replenish tombs, they replenished the tombs, uh, the the family tomb of the family who were responsible for who owned the the mine, while you know the, the actual victims, there wasn't funding put into that. You know, there's still a lot of that sort of stuff around, sadly. But like I say, it was linked to the club through the tragedy of people dying because they wanted to see the Wrexham game on Saturday. And thankfully, the club at least has kept its end up. Um, you know, we, we've had, as you remember, recently games where we'll have the we have memorial games where they have special shirts that will auction off of the, the winding gear on the shirt and things yeah, like yeah. that. You know, the, the club has done has done the right thing consistently over this, and it's something that, that Wrexham fans should be proud of. And just illustrates again how a football club is the heart of the community and maybe sometimes represents it better than its elected officials. Well, that's so that's sort of what I was like try, trying to get up. I didn't get my words out properly. In that, you know, it is a perfect and another example of where the the club puts us on the map and represents us better than any other aspect of 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 the town, doesn't it? You know. Uh, yeah, so so the, the the club doing the business again. Um, anyway, you know, just and just just to add to that, that uh, Phil Parkinson has had uh, uh, George Powell in who who represents the the. Let me get the name of this. Miners the, Rescue. The, the that's it. Sorry, yeah, he represents the Miners Rescue. He's gone in to have a talk with the players uh, this week, and you know that. It's important that the players are made aware of that, and hopefully, it will give them a little bit of motivation to put on a show uh, this weekend. A lot of anyway. international fans really enjoy going to the Miners' Rescue. By the way, if any fans who are mm. planning a visit coming, well, all the ones I've spoken to have spoken very highly of the experience. It's definitely something that I haven't I haven't done, but will need to, to go and do. I might even do this weekend, actually. Um, so yeah, get get there and visit there and support the Miners' Rescue if if you can. I'm sure they'd really appreciate any. Uh, any visitors. Anyway, after this, uh, we're going to wrap up the show and talk about the women's fixture on Sunday. I'm Amy Davis and this is Dragonheart. So the 
the women's first game of the season against Swansea City. It's it's nice to see a Wrexham team play in Swansea, isn't it, Mark? Uh, it's been way too long. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, you know, the, like I said, that that collapse in our status. Well, hopefully, the men's team will get to the point where we're playing the other Welsh teams again. I know we're playing Newport, but you know, Cardiff, Swansea too. But yeah. It's great, the the women at the peak level of Welsh football, which is where Wrexham should be anyway, take over or no take over, but it's brilliant for them to achieve this and, and so exciting. And, you know, they're going to be competitive, which is also deeply exciting. Yeah, and a, a couple of new signings. Um, mm. You know, ho- hopefully they'll be able to integrate themselves straight away into the squad and, and get as a result. Uh do you know what? It's it's to, to my shame, Mark, that I don't know a lot about Swansea uh, as as a club in terms of the women's side of the game. Do you know where they finished last year, or, or like what where whether we're expected to beat them, or is this is this something that they're going to be one of the bigger clubs in the league? They won it two years ago, didn't they? I'm pretty sure, and and we're in the Champions yeah. League. Um, so it's not an easy start, mind you. There's not many teams in the top division, so no games an easy start, is it really? No, true. The thing is, as you said, we have brought in players who have got experience of high-level football. That's a good thing. We still have that core of the players who got us up. That's a fantastic thing. Our youth team has gotten to the final last two years and been competitive. You know, it's a setup which is flourishing and is growing and is heading in the right direction. And and it's just so exciting, isn't it? It's wonderful to, to have this opportunity to... To see them playing at at the top level, it's it's going to be it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be absolutely tremendous, and they have a different profile of support in some ways. So it's yeah. also brilliant that you have you know fans going along who have maybe a different expectation from a football match and, and enjoy it enormously. But yeah, I'm looking forward to see Rosie Hughes slamming a few in, and of course, remember they're going to get more coverage on the season two of Welcome to Wrexham than they did in the first. And that's exciting too, because it is. Ex- they, yeah. It's definitely exciting that, isn't it? That's um, it all adds to it, doesn't it? I know a lot of our international listeners, especially the the Americans, uh, because the Americans uh, are so used to women's soccer, mm. as they, they call it, compared to what what we are. Um, hello, are you still there, Mark? Sorry, yeah, you're yeah. Up. Are you still? I'm oh, still yeah, there. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, because because the the American listeners and watchers are, are so attuned to to women's football compared to us, it's something that they've asked for, and and brilliantly they've got it, haven't they? Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm probably going to be tuning into it on S4C just because uh, most of the family are away and I've got the dog, but <laughs> it's it's also great to see us playing in it. Uh, a stadium that is, you know, sort of licensed to be able to play European games later in the in the mm-hmm. in the future. And uh, as much as as um, the previous venue was was good to us, it, it you know it's it's good to see that they're getting that recognition and having a a proper ground to play in, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you know the Ponky Banks was a wonderful venue for the games, enjoyed watching games there. But yeah, it'll be it's exciting. Top division. Go for it, and then well, Natalie Portman's LA team did offer a friendly, didn't they? So maybe they'll get on wow. the into it next year. That'd be something, wouldn't it? So That'd be awesome. Yeah. Just just looking at some of our new signings, we've got Hannah Kerry. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher her surname, but Kerryacopolis. Uh, 
She's got 20 Wales caps uh, and has previously played in the Women's uh, Super League, which is the, the women's equivalent of the Premier League in England for both Liverpool and Birmingham City. She's uh, from North Wales, so that's fantastic. We've also signed Karen Allen, who has played... Uh, her most recent club was Stourbridge, but she's played for Aston Villa and West Brom. We've got uh, Louisa Doran and Charlotte Bolland, uh, who have both played for... Doran played for Flanders No Ladies, and Bolland is previously of Tramia Rovers, but experienced with the Arsenal's under-21 side. So... There's a lot of experience there, Mark, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you need players who are used to playing at this level, but there's also a hell of a lot of verve and quality about the side that got up as well. So should be competitive, should be fun. Yeah, so uh, and I, I believe it's an all-ticket event, so don't go to the ground without a ticket, but tickets are only £3, and you don't need a membership. You need a, an account to be able to log on to the e-ticketing website but you don't need an active uh, men's team membership to get a ticket. So don't be put off by needing the membership or anything like that. Get yourself a ticket, get yourself up to, to Kevin Mauer and uh, watch the game. It's going to be a good occasion, I think. 100%, 100%. All right, great stuff. Well, oh, very quickly, ne- never mind You know the, the memorial side of things. We didn't actually speak much about the Grimsby game. How do you, how do you fancy our chances this weekend? Yeah. Never mind the facts. Let's get the emotion into it. Need to get the need yeah. to get back at them for what they did to us. We ago. They're due a good hiding from us, aren't they, Mark? I think <laughs> Grim, Grimsby are a li- I know we beat them in the in the um FA trophy, but they're a little bit of a bogey side for us, aren't they? I think like from what I can remember, they've they've Maybe it's just they're not a bogey side, but they stick out in my head as a team that have beaten us quite a lot when when it's annoyed me. <laughs> they beat us in our 150th anniversary game, didn't they? They did. They beat us then when they the playoff season, they also beat us 3-1 at home, didn't they, mm. uh, in the in the league? Sorry, well, we beat away them at, at, at home the for them. That's what I meant. Sorry, yeah, they, yeah. they beat us away 3-1. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember like in 2005, uh, uh, Michael Reddy banging one in in the, in the last five minutes after we battered them for most of the first half and they came back and won 2-1 after Danny Williams got sent off. So uh, I've never forgiven him for that, Mark. <laughs> well, Bill, I mean, you're clearly glass half empty and I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I, I'm thinking back to us going to Blundell Park when Carl Darlington was a caretaker manager and winning 1-0 there, Joe Clark scoring, <laughs> you know. Oh, Joe Clark, what a player. I was Sean Pearson uh, scoring a cracking goal for us, although he was playing for Grimsby at the time. <laughs> Before I push that analogy too far, I- I'm a completely glass-empty guy and I've drunk two pints of water while recording this podcast. So, um, yeah, I- I'm a... Glass half, a glass completely empty, bladder completely full, sort of guy. <laughs> well, I think on that note, so we don't start talking about bladders all for the rest of the yeah, evening. Because uh, I need to be wet. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a pleasure to speak to you again, Mark. Um, it must be, you... I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not often you're in the presence of a camp Darth Maul, is it? So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I've been Bill Long. He's been Mark Griffiths. Uh, follow us on all the, the socials. Like, subscribe, send carrier pigeons, whatever it is you mm. need to do. Get our engagement up. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, this has been Dragonheart. Adios, muchachos. I'm Tommy Kaus, and this is Dragonheart. Ha, 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 ha.